It's our privilege to make these messages available to you. We pray that the Word of God will richly bless you. So let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. You know, God moves people up and moves people out. And, you know, we, we had a wonderful family here for five years, the Pins. And, you know, we're really praying for them right now because God's putting some powerful things on their heart. And, you know, that's been the desire of our church. But we're going to see that accelerated. And if you feel, now let me just say this. Uh, if you feel a strong call, a desire upon you for ministry, missions ministry, maybe one day to pastor a church, maybe to be an evangelist, whatever it may be, you've got to start at the church level. You can't just say, well, I'm going to wait around until God does something. You'll, you'll live your life out and nothing will happen. And the problem with that is, is that, is that as your life goes by, particular grace comes on your life at certain seasons of your life to do things. I really don't know how. I can only say this. I stumbled into it early. I stumbled into it very early. Uh, when I began to uh, prepare for ministry, there were all kinds of opportunities that rose up, business opportunities. I had a business proposition uh, 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 that was proposed to me that would have probably made me rich and killed me in the process. It literally probably would have done it, and I definitely would not have been able to feel, fulfill the call of God. But I recognized and realized early on that I had to be connected to the local church and doing in the local church what I was called to do in that local church to rise up in ministry. And when I graduated from Bible school, I don't know who I'm saying this for, but it'll help somebody. I'm prompted by the Spirit to say it. When I, when I graduated from Lakewood, I, I thought Lakewood was it. I thought, bless the Lord. You know, I'll, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just grab onto John Osteen's coattails and ride right into the ministry. But you know, at Lakewood, there was nothing for me to do but go. There was really no, I mean, I could have become an usher, or run a television camera or something like that, but it just wasn't there. And, and the Lord sent me over here to Lamarck to a little bitty church that met in a funeral home, Pastor Walter and Cindy Hallam. And we just, you know, we hooked up over there when it was nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. It was nothing. And, and we just, you know, uh, uh, just went. And I, and I did all, I, I remember working in the nursery one night. I worked in the nursery one Wednesday night and they never let me work in the nursery after. <laughs> I remember doing, the, doing Sunday school, and they, I did Sunday school a few times. I started going to jail ministry. And, I, and in the meantime, I was going out and preaching every weekend. I was going out and preaching, going out and ministering. But I'd come back on Wednesday night. I'd come back on Sunday night, and I'd work in the church. And then as the church grew, I worked in the, uh, uh, I worked in the uh, 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 Bible school, 13 years, taught full-time in the Bible school, which was difficult when you're traveling. I'd be gone two or three weeks, I'd come back, and the whole time I was home, I was teaching Bible school classes. But I did it. I was faithful to do it. See, that's how God promotes. And we blessed that church today. Wonderful. I had lunch with Pastor Hallam when, two weeks ago. Had had lunch with him. He and I sat down and renewed ourselves and, and talked about old times and laughed and cried and had, had a good time. But God used Abundant Life Christian Center to teach me about local church. Not, 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 the, not the grandiose level of Lakewood Church back in the 80s, which it was, I'm telling you. I mean, I remember Wednesday nights, I'd go there and there'd be 5,000 people sitting in the seats and 1,000 standing. Now, that, that, that's pretty awesome. But that wasn't what God wanted for me. So he took me to a little church and we, we went there, I guess. Uh, when I went there, I was single. That's where I met Leah. So you know it was God. 
Amen. That's where Alan and Pat began to go. Alan, at the time that we went, wasn't even serving the Lord. And God touched his heart. And they became, they worked there for many years. Uh, 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 not only that, we saw it grow from about 30 people to about 3,500 people when we left. And so we saw the development. And I want you to know, those development times, sometimes they're hard. Sometimes they're tough. Uh, that's why you need to pray for pastors. Pray for them. And people need to understand their place. I'm writing my first book. Is anybody happy about that? It's called, the, the title of the book is called The Pulpit of You from the Pew, A Believer's Correct Relationship to His Pastor and Church. Amen. I don't need to write a book on faith. There's plenty of books out there on faith. I don't need to write a book on healing. There's plenty of books out there on healing. I don't need to write a book on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's plenty of books out there on the. I need to write a book that hadn't been written. And a lot of people just don't know how to relate to charismatic, word of faith, Bible taught churches. And they don't know how to relate to pastors like myself who take the, the oversight of a church. Most people are raised in churches in which a board governs the church and decide everything to do and decide on who will and will not be the pastor. The problem with that is that's not correct biblically. Biblically, it's correct for the pastors to take the oversight of the church, raise up ministries and delegate that authority. And in so doing, you have healthy ministry and the Holy Ghost can move. So don't we have great days ahead? Amen. And we got a new building on the way. What a day to be alive. Ephesians chapter 6, where we kind of, I think we left off last week in, in Matthew, but I want to go back to Ephesians. Now, we're studying the actual application of your authority. Now, let me just say this. Your authority operates and works in the spirit realm. You know, men and women have something called free will. We're all free moral agents. We have the right to make decisions and God does not even violate that right. And the reason I say that is because you cannot use spiritual authority on people. You say, well, my neighbor, he just irritates me, so I'm just going to bind him in Jesus' name. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Amen. Husbands, you can't exercise it over your wife. If you could, I'd have done it a long time ago. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Amen. Wives can't exercise it over their husbands. This authority that God has given us works for us as believers in the realm of the Spirit. You say, well, why is that even relevant? Because everything finds its relevancy first in the Spirit before it comes into the natural. And if you can come into a place of victory in the realm of the Spirit, you can also find a place of control. And let me just say this. I said this to the early crowd, and it just came out of my spirit. I didn't plan to say it, but I thought it was really good. You can literally cause your walk of faith. It will literally prevent many of the things that the enemy wants to do in your life. There is a preventative nature to understanding your authority of the believer. That, that, that means there are things you won't have to go through. Come on, church. There are things you will not have to go through physically, things you will not have to go through financially, things you will not have to go through as a family or as a, marri as a married couple. You will not have to go through them because you understand your authority and you understand how to use that authority in the spirit realm and you'll stop the enemy in his tracks from doing things in your life if you'll do it. Everybody say, I'm going to do it. Now, Ephesians chapter 6, let's look at verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. One translation says the traps. I studied that word wiles back when I was a Bible school student. And that word speaks of a, like a trapper who would use a trap back in, in, in biblical days. 
Now, remember back in biblical days, they didn't have refrigeration. Amen. I mean, you couldn't go out and, you know, catch 10 speckled trout and fillet them out and, and put them in the freezer. You had to eat them then or give them away. Now, the trappers back in that day did not design traps to kill. Because if they went out and set their traps and they trapped a rabbit or they trapped a raccoon or they trapped something like that and it killed them and they couldn't get back for a couple of days, it was spoiled. So they, they designed traps to hold. And this speaks of that type of trap. The enemy likes to design traps and put them into your life. It's called wiles of the devil that do what? It doesn't so much destroy you as it does just hold you in one place. And God doesn't want you to be held in one place. He wants you to keep moving. Everybody say, keep moving. He wants you to keep moving. He wants you to keep growing. He wants you blessed of God. Amen. Amen. Now, that we may be able to stand, everybody say stand, against the wiles of the devil. For we, now notice the word we. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, you've got to understand this or you're going to mis misread and misrepresent the gospel. Our fight is in that spirit realm. Now, we talked about last week how it does not use the word warfare, that this fight against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, God, God choose to use the word wrestle. Everybody say wrestle. Literally, the spirit realm, it's already been settled. Satan is defeated. Oh, I'm glad you're so happy. I said, I'm glad you're so excited. The devil is defeated. Every demon force is defeated. Every demon power is defeated. The Bible says of Jesus that he spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, and triumphed over them in it. Now, here's the thing. That victory needs to be enforced on the earth. Many times we think God needs to do something. Amen. God doesn't need to do something. God's already done it. You need to do something. When I think back over the 33 years that I've served God and been in the ministry, I think of all the times that I've been in a wrestling match with the enemy. Wrestling with me over everything. Wrestling with me over, 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 over the, the budget of our ministry. Wrestling with me over, over when we were in field ministry, where to go, what to do, how to do it. Wrestling with me over open doors. Wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. Just wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. But here's the deal. I never gave up. I continued to use my authority till one day we broke through. Amen. When I first went into ministry, I had a few people that, that would have me in their church. And one particular church, I, I did a revival uh, uh, every summer, and they had an evangelist every winter come named Jesse Duplantis. Has everybody ever heard of Jesse Duplantis? So I got to know Brother Jesse. So we were, I, just, I just went up to that church while he was in revival there one time, and I said, I said, I said Jesse, how do, you, how do you schedule meetings? You know how he is. Well, I'll tell you, Brother Rusty, I'll tell you, I just look at the phone, and I say, ring, and it rings in Jesus' name. I said, okay. So I went home, and I looked at my phone, and I said, ring. And it didn't ring. And I said, ring. And it didn't ring. I said, in Jesus' name, ring. And it didn't ring. And then it rang. I thought, praise God. I picked it up as my mother. <laughs> Amen. No, I had to get out. I had to wrestle. Remember those wrestling days, sweetie? When we had to wrestle for an open door. We had to wrestle for God to, 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 to open doors of utterance for us. But we broke through. Amen. 
And now, my goodness, I, I, I've got to turn down meetings now. I mean, uh, the, Keith, Keith Hershey said, you know, I'm going to have to twist your pastor's arm to get him to come over to a minister's conference in Bright Beirut. And, 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 and Leah gigged me on the side and said, how many arms you got left? Everybody that comes here says that. See, we had to wrestle to get through that. Things in our health, we had to wrestle to get through that. Things in our finances, we had to wrestle. We had to, we had to wrestle it out of the hands of the enemy and get it into our hands. Because if the enemy can, he'll stop you from receiving. Amen. But the good news is we did not have to do that on the basis of, of defeating the adversary. We had the word of God. And just like Jesus resisted the devil in Mark chapter four, we did the same thing on the basis of it is written. Everybody say it is written. It is written is your defense. It's your, it's your defense and it becomes your offense as you move into the spirit realm and begin to do what God's called you to do. Now, if you will, go to Go to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians. Let's go there this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me get over there. Now, everybody say spirits, wickedness, principalities, powers. Now, all these things operate. Now, let me just say a couple of things about spirits in an area. Every place in the world. Now, I don't know I'm not that smart about some things. I, 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 as in, in reading the Word of God, listening to good teaching, I am convinced that this 6,000-year period in which we're involved in right now, which is the dispensation of humanity upon this earth, it's not the only time this earth has ever been inhabited. There is obvious signs. You know, uh, people find ruins, they find signs, they find all this kind. There's obvious signs of pre-existing before our 6,000-year history, pre-existing existence upon this planet. Now, actually, if you study the Bible, you'll see that it says, uh, uh, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2 says, and the earth was void and without form. Some Bible scholars says between verse 1 and verse 2 could have been millions of years. Because the Bible did, uh, the, 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 God did not create the earth void without form. Can I say that again? God did not create the earth void and without form. With God, there's always order. With God, there's always form. With God, there's always substance. So I don't know what the history of this, of this chunk of earth and, and, and sky and moon, I don't know what the history of it is. I, I have no idea. But I do know that insurrection took place in heaven. When that was, I don't know. I, I don't know. But Jesus, the word of God, threw Satan to this earth and one third of the angels fell with him. Now we know through just scientific study that one, at, at a particular point in time, now, this is before the flood. This is pre-flood and pre-creation pre that this earth went into a cataclysmic shutdown. Cold, ice, and darkness. Are you with me? And the first thing God did when he brought the human experience onto this earth was to cut the lights on. Let there be light. Now, these demon forces that were upon the planet, they fell with with Satan, make up the principalities, the powers, the demons, and all that. They make that up. Now, there's some type of, of teaching around that talks about disenfranchised spirits being upon this earth. 
uh, spirits of, of we don't know what they were that might have been here before creation. The Bible does not back that up. So I really don't, I don't get into that. We got enough to deal with with the devil. Amen. So here's the thing. Remember when Jesus, we, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the madman of Gadara. Remember when Jesus uh, cast him out and he said, don't send us out of this country. Amen. That means there's a territorial aspect to demonic power. And that that demonic power likes to stay in an area. Amen. Galveston has unique spirits about it. That are, that are in this, that are, I knew when we began to pray about passion a church here, I knew one of the first things we were ha- gonna have to do was break the spirit of stinginess. Because there's a spirit of stinginess on this island. I know of one of the richest men, he's gone on to hopefully heaven, I hope he went to heaven, but, but, but it was known, this is not some secret I'm telling, but it was known, uh, this, this individual was worth millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, and he would spend literally an entire day shopping at Randall's and Kroger's and Walmart and going place to place with coupons, seeing where he could get the best deal. Honey, that's stingy. You say, well, I use coupons, you may need them. He didn't. Amen. And the problem is if you don't understand certain spirits, they'll get into the church. That's why we're such a giving church because we break that spirit of stinginess. Amen. Amen. Also on this island was a real spirit of prejudice. Lee and I began to pray quickly as we begin to realize God had called us to Galveston Island. We begin to break that prejudice spirit upon this island because it's here. There are other spirits. There's a real spirit of independence upon this island. Where people are just, you know, and unless there's a major hurricane that's torn everything up, then everybody comes together. But in between then, uh, uh, you know, there's this real independent. You ever heard the term? I never heard it anywhere outside of Galveston Island, but I heard it here. Snooze, you lose. That comes from Galveston, buddy. That's a Galveston Island term right there. I heard guys say that when one guy would take another guy's girlfriend. Snooze, you lose. We don't have that spirit in an island church. No snooze, you lose. Just thought I'd help you with that. But if you don't understand that, then, you, then those, those spirits can get into churches. I've gone into areas. I've gone into areas where there was such a spirit of stinginess. I'd get up and start preaching, and there'd be an anointing of prosperity by me. And you could see the buckets go by being full of money, and then the pastor come with his head down, won't even look in your eye, hand you a little old tiny check for a couple of hundred dollars. You know thousands came in. Say, well, it just didn't come in for you, preacher. Yeah, right. (laughs) Amen. That ain't right. That ain't of God. So you got to watch these things. You've got to be careful because they'll try to get into your life and they'll try to dominate your life. And you've got to make a decision to resist. Everybody say resist. It says both in the book of James and in the book of 1 Peter to resist the devil, which means there must be an active opposition of principalities, of powers, of spiritual wickedness, and of oppression of the devil. Now, it says in Acts, Acts, uh, excuse me, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Many times there's a spirit to sickness and disease. Not all the time. Not all the time. But sometimes when I pray, I become aware of a spirit. And I take authority over that spirit in Jesus' name. Now, we've got to understand these spiritual things and be aware of them, or we're going to be subject to them in a negative way. Now, did you find 2 Corinthians 10? Let's let's look here, just for a few moments this morning. It says, for though we walk after the flesh, 
We do not war after the flesh. Now there's the word war. That's not the word wrestle. That's the word war. Now, what did we determine? I think not last week, but the week before. What is war? What is the definition of war? It is a conflict with an undetermined outcome. You say, now wait a second, preacher. You said that there was already a determined outcome. There is already a determined outcome when it comes to God, Jesus, the Holy Ghost, and the devil. But there's not a determined outcome yet when it comes to you. You are in a war. Let me try that again. You are in a war. We're going to define that war, and we're going to show you where it happens, and we're going to show you how to be victorious in it. Because this is a war you have to engage in. You know, it takes two to tango. And if you don't show up, the other one wins. Amen. Amen. I mean, if we went over where, where, where we fought, where we, when we fought in Iraq, if we got our, our Army, our Navy, our Marine Corps, our Air Force, our Coast Guard, all of our military, they geared up, they went over there. If the enemy wouldn't have showed up, there wouldn't have been any conflict. Amen. Now, the problem is there are two things that Christians don't like. They don't like conflict and they don't like confrontation because conflict and confrontation are not comfortable. And you have enough going on outside the four walls of the church, you think, now, pastor's talking about conflict and, and confrontation and he ought to have to get out and live my life. Well, you ought to have to get out and live my life. Because in my life, there's a lot of conflict and confrontation in the realm of the Spirit over you, over this church, over missions, over evangel, over you name it. There's a lot of confrontation. Amen. And when you realize that that confrontation is there for a reason, it's there to stop you from getting what God wants you to have and from doing what God wants you to do. So there's a war going on. A conflict with an undetermined outcome. But I've got good news. You can win the war. Everybody say, I'm going to win the war. That means you have to do something. Now notice this. Verse up three here. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. I wish we did. I'm a pretty good shot. <laughs> Amen. I took an old shotgun. Uh, uh, when was it? One day this week, I drove up. I have a friend that owns a gun shop up in Texas City, Shooter's Corner. And uh, so I have an old shotgun. Leah bought it for me 25 years ago. And that shotgun has been drugged through every marsh, every rice field. It's been, in, it's been in Louisiana. It's been in Arkansas. It's been in Idaho. It's been all over Texas duck hunting. And it is wore out. And so I took it up there to get it refurbished. Now, that shotgun is the fear of the migration every year. You say, why is that? Because it's like part of my body. It is like part of my, I use other guns from time to time and play around with other guns and I don't, I don't shoot them like I shoot that one. It's an extension. I've shot it so many times. I've killed so many ducks with it. I've killed so many geese with it that it literally is just an extension of me. Now that's what God wants with his weapons in your life. It don't want it to be some weapon hanging in a gun case that never gets used. Amen? Because you'll find out no matter how quality of a weapon is, how good of a weapon is, it's the use that brings out the worth of the gun. Amen? 
Uh, a rifle. Uh, I've got a, I had a custom rifle made. And I'm telling you, they call it a tack driver. That means at 500 yards, you can drive tacks with it. And I'm telling you, because of the proficiency of that rifle, it makes it an extremely dangerous weapon. And there are weapons in the arsenal of God that you've got to get out and use them. Listen, without me going to the range, without me practicing with that rifle, without me understanding its operation, it'd be worthless to me. But as I go and practice with it, as I go and use it, as I do, I I pulled off the longest shot I ever made on a deer last year with that rifle. You say, why? Because it's a weapon that can do it. And God wants to put weapons in your hands that are used every day that the proficiency of that weapon becomes an extension of who you are. Amen. Ought to get a better amen than that. The weapons of our, we don't, uh, excuse me, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, I like this, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now let me say, let's define strongholds. What are strongholds? Strongholds are intricate patterns of thought developed through repetition that go against the grain of your redemptive rights. There are sickness and disease. Every year, people get the flu. Some people get it every year, no matter what. Asian flu, the Hong Kong flu, the the swine flu, the whatever flu. They just give another name to it. Amen. And I've met tons of people that go down and take their flu shot and still get it. Amen. That ought to tell you something about flu shot. But people just have a stronghold. Cold front comes through. My neighbor coughed. I've got the flu. <laughs> allergies are worse. Amen. Cold front come through, gets dry, sneeze. Got my allergy. Got my Where's my allergy medicine? Strong. People have financial strongholds. I can't ever get ahead. I'm always paying off one credit card with another one. I've got to go down and borrow money on my paycheck. I've got to go, have to go get a title loan just to pay my bills. Listen, that's a stronghold in you. People have insecurity strongholds. People have fear strongholds. There are all kinds of strongholds. They are intricate patterns of thought developed through repetition that go against the grain of our redemptive rights. Our redemptive rights are what? You have the right to be healed. You have the right to prosper. You have the right to have joy. You have the right to have peace because Jesus secured those rights for you, but you have to do something about it. You've got to get in there and fight the fight. Amen. 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 Now notice this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, now here we begin to get some insight. Casting down imaginations and every high thing, <coughs> excuse me, that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Everybody say imaginations, imaginations. Thoughts. thoughts. Say imaginations, imaginations. Thoughts. thoughts. This locates the battlefield. Where's the battlefield? Where's the battlefield? It's in your mind. Now, your spirit's redeemed. Amen? The Bible talks about our spirit being sealed unto the day of redemption. Satan doesn't have access to your spirit. Listen, the only thing relevant to your spirit is growth and development. Because I got a spiritual problem. Well, your spiritual problems, you're not growing. That's the only problem relevant to your human spirit is growth and development. All the other issues, all the other problems, all the other situations happen in your mind. 
The enemy knows that. And I want you to know there are too many Christians that their mind is the devil's play, playground. It's their playground. I mean, the devil just gets in dances all over their mind and they just go, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, that ain't the will of God for your life. Now, notice the first thing it says is imaginations. Oh my goodness. We are the most overstimulated people on the planet when it comes to imaginations. Can I help you a little bit? There's no Starship Enterprise. There's no Klingons. Old Yeller did not die. Amen. Hollywood is a tool of the devil. Are you saying we shouldn't go to me? I'm not saying you, you follow your own conviction, but I want you to know Hollywood, I don't really care about the story they put there up there. The way that it's presented has so strengthened the imagination of people that 90% of our country lives in a fantasy world. Amen. I mean, they got movies that they make one and they see how people respond. They make another, 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 another. Come on. How many times are you going to tell the story and how many ways is it going to be told? It's because it's so stimulating to the imagination. Now, let me say this. Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. But you're never going to be an overcomer in this. You're never going to win this war with a lazy mind. And a lazy mind cannot lay around every day watching Homer Simpson and think you're going to get all the answers of life from the Simpsons. You say, why them? Because they, how, how long have they been on TV? 26 years. They're a cartoon. Amen. You're going to have to make a decision to strengthen your mind with the Word of God. That's why every day your mind must be exposed to the Word. Amen. Imaginations. The enemy wants to come in. Now what he'll do is he'll come, he'll cut, his, he'll cut his deception off of the corners of strongholds in your mind. Listen, if you've got a strong stronghold when it comes to fear, he's always trying to make you fearful. If you've got a strong stronghold when it comes to loneliness, he's always wanting to make you think you're alone and isolated. If you've got a strong stronghold when it comes to money, he always wants to make you think no matter how much money you have in your pocket, you're never going to have enough and you'll always be in trouble financially. If you've got a strong stronghold in your mind, listen, this is where addic addictions happen. You think you have to have some feeling. Come on, church. I mean, our country is awash with drugs. They thought they were going to win the drug war. Honey, they hadn't even got close. They used to bring it in in bags. They're bringing it in in barrels now. Why? Because our nation has a lazy mind and is unwilling to address things in their mind that they need to. So they'd rather do what? They'd rather put their imagination to sleep other than have to think about what may happen, what could happen, what should happen. That's not the way God's designed you folks. Amen. And there's more than just narcotics that could be a narcotic. Let me say that again. There's more than just narcotics that can be a narcotics. There's more than just alcohol that can do the work of alcohol. There are things that people stimulate themselves with. There are things that people relieve themselves with. There are things that people get peace with that are not of God, and they just build strongholds in your imagination. It's false, it's fake, it's not real, and it will destroy you. Amen? So now notice what it says. It says you're going to have to cast them down. Now, 
One of the ways to begin this process is to begin to do an inventory of your thinking. All day long, thoughts are happening in your mind. They have three origins. Thoughts come from three places. Now, the, the, the most common place thought comes from is our human experience, just human thinking. Listen, you don't have to intercede and pray and, and do, to find out what to wear in the morning. You ought to have enough sense to wear something in the morning. Amen. Some people have better taste than others. But you don't, you don't need great, uh, a great prayer meeting, intercession. You don't need a, a, a word of knowledge on what to eat. Just go eat. Amen. Your body says you're hungry, go eat. Natural human thinking is designed to help you exist here on the planet. It's natural to your physical body. It's natural to your life experience. Amen. You get up in the morning, the sun's up. You say, it's morning, it's time to get up and go to work. You look at your watch. You're supposed to be at work at 8 o'clock at 7.30. You get ready to go to work. Then what do you do? It's real simple. You go to work. That's just human natural thought. Then there's demonic thought. Now, demonic thought dresses up all kinds of ways. It could be a thought, listen, it could be a thought that you have that you like. It could be a thought that you have that you desire to entertain. Now, let me just, before I get ahead of myself, here's the purpose of the enemy. The enemy wants to bombard your mind with a thought, a thought, a thought, a thought. When he sees you entertaining that thought, he's going to amplify it because words paint pictures. We're talking about weenie dogs. I've got a weenie dog named Freckles. So I say the word weenie dog. Everybody sees a dachshund. That's a picture. Amen. Then I say, Weenie dog running across my backyard chasing a tennis ball. Now, I've painted a picture that you can see in your mind. And what the enemy wants to do is to stimulate your mind, stimulate your mind, stimulate your mind, because he's trying to get you to birth that thought. How do you birth that thought? Words. Now, let me say this. Satan, the demon world, demons, principalities, powers are not creators. You are. And the enemy wants you to use your words to create hell in your life. Some of you right now, I'm just going to give you a word from God. One of the best things you can do for the next six weeks as I teach on this is just to shut up. Just shut up. Don't say nothing. To, to your wife, just tell her, I love you, honey. I can't say nothing right now. Pastor Rusty said, shut up. To your husband, you tell him, I can't say nothing right now. I've got to be quiet for six weeks. Pastor Rusty said, shut up. If you will just shut up, you will quit creating an atmosphere of destruction in your home, in your body, in your finances, and in your life. Because that comes from the enemy bringing those thoughts into your mind and you doing what? Entertaining them. Listen, if some guy knocked, knocked on my door, says, he knocked on my door, I come to the door and I say, uh, uh. I've come to your house this evening and I'm going to steal everything you have. I'm going to rip you off. I'm going to kidnap your child. I'm going to abuse you. I wouldn't say, well, come on in. Let me get you a Dr. Pepper first. <laughs> Would you like a sandwich? That's called entertaining. Amen. And a lot of people's problem is when a thought comes in, they entertain it before they identify it. Let me try that again. When a thought comes in, they entertain it before they identify it. Because what the enemy wants to do is to take that thought and turn it into an imagination so that you will give voice to that imagination. 
so that the weenie dog chasing the ball, the weenie dog chasing the, the tennis ball in the backyard will become the weenie dog chasing the ball in the backyard. Did you get that? He wants it going from here to here. So he will put thoughts in your mind, thoughts in your mind, thoughts in your mind, thoughts in your mind. And that, that's one of the problems with the devil is he's so persistent. If you let him be persistent, he will be persistent. Now notice the scripture again, casting down. Everybody say casting down. Imagination. There are times when you just got to cast them down. No, devil. Now here's where, here's where people miss it. You cannot combat a thought or an imagination with another thought or an imagination. You have one weapon. Everybody say one weapon. You have one weapon that works in the natural and the spirit realm. Let me say that again because you need to hear this. You have one weapon that works in the natural and the spirit realm. Now, there's a lot of ammunition that will work in that weapon, but there's one weapon that will work in the natural and the spirit realm. You say, what is that? That's your words. That's why the devil, wants, he wants you to just say it. Just say it. I'm sick. Just say it. I'm broke. Just say it. Lee and I, when we counsel people that are in crisis in their marriage, that's the first thing we tell them. Don't you dare let that divorce word come out of your mouth. Because if you release that word, you're on your way. Amen? You say, what do you mean by that? It's a word that has power and a word that demands action. And the enemy wants you to look at your husband or at your wife and use that word because that will destroy your marriage. He knows that and he knows he cannot create that, but you can create that with your words. Come on, church. He wants you to say, I have, when it comes to sickness. I have cancer. No, you don't. I don't care who you are in here. You do not have cancer. Cancer is attacking your body. And the words of God will destroy its ability to kill you if you will make a decision to speak the words of God. You do not have arthritis. You do not have diabetes. Don't ever come up and say, I have. Have means you've taken possession. That is the enemy's way of getting you to use your words to possess something. I have depression. No, you don't. A spirit of depression may be trying to torment your mind, but you do not have it. You are not the possessor of it because Jesus has redeemed you of that. And when we, listen, when we make statements like this, they sound very abstract, but it's truth. The fact may be you've been diagnosed with it. The truth is God has set me free from it. And see, a lot of people don't like it because they're lazy. I want to find somebody, pray for me, and everything be over so I, can go, so I can go back to the way things were. It doesn't work like that. never has worked like that. I don't know where we got the, uh, uh, the thinking that, you know, there's somebody out there with magic hands that can do some magic trick down at an altar somewhere and get you delivered from something. It's not true. I've seen many people touched, healed, blessed, ministered to. I've seen symptoms leave. I've seen sickness go. I've seen miracles happen. But if you do not renew your mind, if you do not fight that war, then the enemy will come and take back everything that you got from God. And then he will also gang up on you and bring even more into your life and make it worse than it was before you started. That's exactly what we're going to study what Jesus taught about demons. That's one of the things he thought. He said, when a spirit leaveth, it goes and walks in dry places, comes back and finds this house that he was in swept and garnished. And because no word is in there, he comes back in bringing seven more, more evil than himself. People experience that. It's horrible. It's horrible. But the good news is you can cast it down. How do you do it? With your words. You cannot fight thoughts with thoughts. You must fight thoughts with words. Matthew chapter 4. In all realms, 
You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to mention it. In all realms of resistance to temptation, Jesus said. Jesus said. Now, what did he say? It is written. Now, you know as well as I do, just, just being out in the world, there's so much out there that stimulates thought. Memory is very powerful. How many know that? They say that smell can, can uh, stimulate memory, sight, hearing. I was in Walmart the other day you know, looking, at a, looking at a battery charger, and uh, they were playing this song. And I wouldn't listen to it. I just wouldn't listen to it. I just, I just choose not to listen to it. I was reading the stuff on there. But all of a sudden, a picture flashed in my mind. And when, I, when it did, I just said this. I said, no, just like that. Then I said this, I'm not that person. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are new. I said it out loud. I said I said it out loud. Now, I was on an airplane flight one time and and uh, it was a bad one, man. I mean, it was a long, bad one. We'd gone up the East Coast. We'd come out of, out of Atlanta. They fed us dinner. Uh, and we turned uh, right off of uh, northern Canada and began to come down that, that, that sweep down from uh, 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 across the North uh, Atlantic. And I'm telling you, I could tell when they sat the stewardesses down, I knew we were in trouble. And man, that ride was like, a, I was so glad that plane sat down in Dublin, Ireland. I was wore out. Well, 14 days later, I'd get back on that plane. I got back on that plane. The devil, I mean, in my mind, were all kinds of things. And I, and I, and I, I kind of under my breath, I was like, no, in the name of Jesus, I mean, you know. And I remember saying this out loud. I said, in Jesus' name, if the thing falls apart, I'll ride this wing down to the water and I'll sail it all over to New York or somewhere. And a guy was getting in next to me. He said, what? I said, I'm not talking to you. Amen? Amen. Listen, if you don't fight your fight, what are you going to do? Everybody say casting down. Casting down imaginations. Now notice this. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. See, sickness and disease wants to exalt itself against the knowledge of healing and health. Are you with me? Poverty and lack wants to exalt itself above the knowledge of prosperity and blessing. Are you with me? Uh, uh, depression and loneliness and heartache wants to exalt itself against the joy of the Lord. You can't let it do it. You've got to get into your mind. I mean, you need to say, in the name of Jesus, devil, I am going to war with you. I am not going to lose this war. I've been given mighty weapons by God. Listen to me today. In the name of Jesus, you're not going to have my mind. Because if he's got your mind, he's got you. Amen. Now, the enemy. We know a lot of people say, well, there's not a lot of demon possession in the United States, and, which I beg to differ, there is. Even this week, we see somebody go shoot up a hospital and somebody, some road rage. That's demonic. Devil takes people over, begins to speak to them. They hear it and they obey it. And what are the consequences? Steal, kill, and destroy. Amen. But now let me say this, and this, this may help some of you. If you're a Christian, if you're born again, if you can say without, without reservation of any kind, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. You cannot be possessed by a devil. 
Where the enemy comes at Christians is on two levels. There's oppression, then there's obsession. And I've seen people so obsessed, they looked, they looked possessed. We were in a, in a first revival meeting I ever did in the summer of 1985 at Randy Linda Ayers Church in Grosbeck, Texas. They, uh, a family, a, a husband and wife, brought their son. He was about 16 years old. He was a vegetable. I mean, he just kind of sat there, head down, you know. They told, uh, later they told us the story how he didn't sleep and all this torment in his mind. And uh, at night they would put headphones on him. He would turn up the, uh, the, some, some kind of death rock or metal rock or something like that. And, and for one hour a night he could sleep. You can imagine what kind of mental state he was in. Well, we took authority over that spirit. And the next night he came, hair combed, dressed, alert, had his Bible in his hand. And his mother came up and testified later. He slept eight hours that night after that spirit was cast out of him, out of his mind that was oppressing to the point he was obsessed with it. Now that is the design. See, I'm giving you good military information here. You know, if it wasn't for our intelligence services, our military would be hamstrung. They would just run in with nothing but force and a lot of people would be destroyed. And a lot of equipment would be destroyed. But we got good intelligence that goes out and gives us information. One of the problems with the body of Christ, and we're going to do this in a couple weeks, we're going to study the devil. Amen. I mean, I'm going to get up here and teach you who the devil is, what his weaknesses are, what his strengths are, and we're going to see it right out of the Word of God. But you've got to make a decision in your own heart and in your own life that you're going to allow the intelligence that comes out of the Word of God to become your standard and way of thinking so that you can oppose that oppressing spirit that tries to come on you. Because if you yield to oppression, you will become obsessed with it. A lot of the mental problems we have today, people, you know, I'm bipolar, I'm tripolar, I'm quadpolar, I'm whatever you are, you know. And I, and, I, and, I, and I do, I have compassion for people. I want people like that delivered. Because all they put you on is, uh, do is give you drugs that, that put you in a stupor and then you really can't function because you don't have any willpower left. Because that's what those word, uh, drugs do is they render you willpowerless. But if you will make a decision, I'm not going to live like this any longer. How many of you have had oppressing spirits just mess with your mind over and over and over and over? That's a sign that they're trying to gain an inroads. They're trying to become preeminent. They're trying to become the dominant entity and force in your life. Yes, you're a Christian. Yes, if you die, you'd go to heaven. Yes, yes, yes to all the good things of God. But why live in such torment? Amen. So you cast down, everybody say cast down. That's an act. Then you bring into captivity. Now, let me go, where'd my time go? I used to think I wanted to be a cowboy until I became a cowboy. Then after being a cowboy for a couple of years, I figured, I don't want to be no cowboy. I worked on a ranch right outside of uh, Houston, one of the last big cattle ranches in Harris County. This was a big cattle ranch. It was owned by a man named Paris E. Walker. Paris e. Walker was a colonel in, in uh, uh, MacArthur's army, and MacArthur left him in Bataan. And so he was a bitter old man, and I was raised with his youngest son. We rodeoed together. And so in the summertime, I worked for Mr. Walker. We worked cattle. He had, he had like, like, like 35 brood mares that we had to go round up. He had about, he had 1,500 head of Brahma cattle. And I'm telling you, after working cows, baling hay, going and get feed, you know, two summers in a row, I figured, I don't want to be no cowboy. Now, one of the things I learned not to like, now listen, please don't write me. This is just me. Amen. 
I learned not to like horses. People say, want to go horseback riding? Nope. Been there, done that. Amen. Now, but I do appreciate good horses. Lee, Lee and I one time got to go to the King Ranch. A friend of ours was head of the entire equine system at the King Ranch, and he introduced us to Little Peppy. Little Peppy was the original. On his, on his papers as a court horse, the number is zero, 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 six zeros, and a one. That's Little Peppy. He's worth, what, $36 million as a 38-year-old horse. He had produced 200, he had produced 2,500 foals, the least of which sold for $750,000. The most one sold for was 2.1 million. So he had produced. And we worry about prosperity. A horse make that much money? Come on. <laughs> but Peppy was cool, remember? We petted him and he was just so cool. He was just this cool horse. Now, the most worthless thing I think in the world is a wild horse. Because it serves no practical purpose. Now, you got to think as you, as you, of, of your thoughts like wild horses. They'll run into your mind and just run around. Amen. Until you do something about taking them captive. Now, a few years after, after I worked for Mr. Walker, dad had a little ranch in Somerville. And I'd just gotten back to the Lord and I needed to spend some time fasting and praying. And so I went up to that little, that little ranch and, and we had a guy that took care of the ranch named Bobby Elliott. He was a true horse whisperer. This guy was a, uh, uh, he was, anybody that knew him knew he was a true cowboy horse whisperer. Some of these people knew him. Now, uh, uh, he brought in a whole trailer load of wild Mustangs from Montana and turned them into a round pin. I don't know if you know the purpose of a round pin, but he turned them into a round pin. And in every round pin, that means there's no corners in the pin, it's round. And so that, that's so that horses or whatever you put in there will not bunch up and hurt themselves. They'll run round and round and round. Now, in the middle of that round pen was a great big post, big old post, and you could see where the ropes had worn it over the years as people had trained horses in that round pen. So the first thing we had to do was get a rope on one of some of these horses. So we get a halter on them. And I remember uh, Mr. Elliott running around him horses, running around, running around, running around, running around, running around with a rope. And whoom, he'd get one. As soon as he'd get one, he'd go around that big post with that rope. And man, he'd tighten it down and around that post again and tighten it down. And then slowly, he'd begin to pull that horse toward that post. And once he got that horse up next to that post like that, he could control him. He'd start petting him, easing him, calming him down. He'd do that sometimes for 15 minutes, just petting him, calm, talking to him. Then he'd slip a halter over him and let him go. Because that halter means he can be caught again and brought back into control. Now he did that Mustang after Mustang after Mustang till we finished that bunch of Mustangs. Your thoughts are like that. You, got a, you should have a big post in the round pen of your mind Amen. called the Word of God. So when, so when a thought runs in there and just starts running around, round, 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 you can get after it and say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to think like that. No, no, no. I'm not having the flu. No, 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 no. I'm not having cancer. I'm not going broke. We're not going to have a divorce. In Jesus' name. And you put that rope around it, and then you throw it around the Word of God, and you pull it up tight. Amen? Amen. Now you're in control. You have to put forth the effort. You must make the decision. That's why every day you must read and meditate the Word of God. Then you must speak it. And when those thoughts come into your mind, you can't just let them run around. Because the more you let them run around, the more they're going to think that's their mind 
and not yours. And when you make a decision, I'm not going to think like this anymore. Do you want your life to change? Do you want your health to change? Do you want your finances to change? Do you want your, your, your mental disposition to change? Do you want to be free from addictions? Do you want to be free from intimidation? Do you want to be free from fear? If you do, you're going to have to get into this war in the mind and you're going to have to make a decision. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in my life. I'm telling you, if you'll do that. Now, you say, how long do you have to do it? Until you go to heaven. We were with Mom Goodwin. Remember that years ago? She was ministering some things to us by the Spirit, teaching us about the move of the Spirit. Then she looked up and just said this. You know, to this day, she's 90 years old. To this day, I still have problems with my wicked mind. But you have the mind of Christ. And if you will put forth the effort, your entire life will radically change. I think nothing like I used to think 30 years ago. I think nothing like I used to think 20 years ago. And hopefully 10 years from now, I'll think nothing like I think today. Because we continually take authority over those spirits that speak into our minds and try to steal the blessing of God from us. Amen? You love the Lord? Lift your hands and worship God. Father, we worship you today. Lord, we thank you for the good word of God that empowers us to be winners in our minds that the undetermined outcome will be determined by our effort to speak the Word of God and to bring into subjection every thought into the obedience of Christ. Lord, we thank You for it. We thank You for what that does in our lives. And we thank You, Father. The devil's not in charge. Evil spirits are not in charge. They do not have the preeminence. They don't have the victory, nor do they have the power. We have the power. We have the victory. We have the preeminence. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God. And we speak to every stronghold of the mind. And we say, strongholds in the name of Jesus, you come down in Jesus' name. And I thank you that people will not have lazy minds, that their minds will be active, their minds will be alive, their minds will be healthy, their minds will be blessed by the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the favor of God. In Jesus' name. Ever head bowed, ever eye. Thank you for joining us. We trust you enjoyed the message today. For services and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.